did Jesus really say, don't care about the poor because the poor you will always have with you? That's what we're going to talk about today. Happy New Year. First time I've gone live other than with the evangelicalish guys in 2023. So this is an exciting moment. I just did a TikTok on the We the People Bible. The Trumps are now selling a Bible. And it's really funny. You got to see it because, you know, it's Don Jr. saying, hey, let's get back to the Bible. And here's the We the People Bible made in America. And uh, a lot of people have been commenting. And actually, I didn't quite catch it as you guys did. The comments have been like, um, no, the Bible was not made in America. <laughs> the Bible was written by people with dark skin in the Middle East. Bummer for you, Donnie J. Um, so let's just start with this question from ATL Post who asks, are you still Christian or atheist now? And that's a great question. That's a question I get asked a lot. And I think the answer is no and no. I, it's like, I don't believe there's a, and I don't think you're asking this, but I'm, I'm just saying this for edification purposes. I don't think there's a binary choice of I'm Christian or an atheist. I do not consider myself Christian because I don't like what Christianity has come to mean in America today. Um, I do believe the teachings of Jesus, even if Jesus wasn't a real person, I think the teachings are inspired and brilliant and and I'm following, I, I love to follow them. They are my connection in a lot of ways into the spiritual world and the divine. Um, but do I believe the evangelical story that God created this little game of the world because he just wanted to be worshipped by somebody? And, and so he created this idea of sin, told us he's going to send us to hell if we sin, and then set up the only way to get rid of sin is God beat the hell out of his son and and by believing in that hell beating from God, we get to go to heaven. I, I don't buy that story. I think salvation, the Greek word sozo in the Bible, means way more than I said a magic prayer and now I'm good. Um, I think salvation is reconciliation to connection to heaven. And I believe that reconciliation to that connection to heaven is a reconciliation to our true identity of who we are, of who we were made to be at creation. And when we understand who we are in relationship with the divine and with one another, that is sozo, that is being reconciled to our uh, original identity before religion uh, Christianity corrupted it all and said, no, here's the rules. I love how my Christian friends say, it's a relationship, not a religion. And I'm like, oh, so you don't have any rules. That means a gay person can go to heaven. Well, no, no, uh, you know, a gay person can't go to heaven. It's like, you have a rule book then. You, you got a rule code. You're a religion. And uh, that's just the way it is. So I don't consider myself a Christian nor an atheist. I, be I do believe there is something bigger than the universe. And, and I believe mystically or, or 
quantum physically or through some means, we are able to access that divine, spiritual, mystical world. And some people access it through Christianity and some are just mean because of Christianity. Some people access it through Buddhist practices or uh, Islamic uh, heart for Allah. There's just, I, I, I'm not a universalist, but I do believe that we're all in some ways connecting to the whole grid. And, and a lot of people say, well, how can you believe that? Part of it is just religion is so tied to location that if there really is a God and he says only Christians get to go to heaven, then wow, aren't I lucky to have been born in America where Christianity is the primary nation because the people that were born in Iraq just aren't as lucky as me to, you know, have, have that Christianity built in. And, and so I have this huge advantage of going to heaven over those Middle Eastern people or, or uh, people of other nations where, the, you know, the, the religion is something else. And I just, I just don't think that's a story of a good God. And so the story doesn't add up. There could be a God like that who says only my followers get to go to heaven and everybody else goes to hell, but that God cannot be good. And therefore the story in my mind doesn't add up. It makes God look uh, thin-skinned, easily offendable, tiny, small. So this, this question came from Julia and Julia is my friend. She said, I would like to hear your advice for staying positive in a seemingly unjust world. Um, <laughs> Calvin says, hating on Jesus or you never read the Bible. Wrong and wrong, uh, incorrect. Um, so how do we stay positive in a seemingly unjust world? Great question. I would love to hear your feedback on this. Um, one way that I do this is to understand what life is. I'm, I'm really gaining a better understanding of what life is. And life is not this thing that evangelicalism tells us it is that you, you, you know, live this life out. You're a sinner. You're a terrible, depraved flesh. You can't do anything good. You just hope, you just hope that God beating the hell out of his son, uh, you know, gets you to heaven. And then you have this binary choice at the end of it, where you're either going to heaven or going to hell. It's just, that's just so ridiculous. And so when I look at history, when I look at the Bible, it's a, it's a series of humanity aspiring and failing and aspiring and failing. But at every aspiration and every failure, we fall forward and something new springs up from the death. When one culture dies and overturns, something new springs up. And so death is sad and a loss, but it's, but it's a part of the cycle of everything. So my death as a human being will bring new life. My life will go on into the next phase of existence. And so we're in a time when a lot of craziness is making us look like, wow, our culture is really going to overturn. And I bring this reminder 
Jeremiah 29, 11 is one of the most popular verses in the Bible. You may know what it says, but I'll recite it just in case you don't. It says, uh, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans not to harm you, but to prosper you and plans to give you a future and a hope. Isn't that a beautiful verse that says, wow, God doesn't want to harm me. God wants to prosper me. And then I remind everyone that verse was written by a prophet named Jeremiah who was writing to a society that was being overtaken by a larger power. The nation of Israel, to whom Jeremiah was the prophet, was being overturned by Babylon ransacking their, their country. So in the middle of this cultural overturn, Jeremiah brings this life-affirming verse of, hey, there are good things ahead. There are good plans. There is a future and a hope. And I believe even when you're 99 and on your deathbed, there is a future and a hope for you. And so the overturn of our culture, which is happening through radical right-wing extremism, doesn't scare me because death doesn't even scare me. I think it's, you know, probably our culture has served its time and we've lost our bearings. And when that happens, we see it in the Bible and throughout history, cultures overturn and something new rises up. <laughs> M.A. James says, hey, Paul, just a heads up. This guy says you need Jesus in case you haven't been told that before. Yes, I've heard that before. You need Jesus. And that's when I hear people like, well, Jesus will make it all good for you. Well, no, I was, I was in that religious sect for many, many years and had many, many things in life that didn't get fixed by take it to Jesus, take it to the cross. Thank you, Julia, for the question. I hope that helps. Um, that doesn't mean we won't have trouble, that we won't have pain, that we won't lose something. But we can say, but nobody can really take anything from me if I'm not holding on to something selfishly and tight. If I'm humble with my hands open with everything I am and have, then nothing can be stolen from me. And if I know that this idea of God is going to cast me into the lake of fire if I masturbated the day before I die, then I don't have to sit around in fear anymore. Fear is the opposite of love. The Bible says perfect love casts out fear. So if we're sitting around in fear of some people of color coming to replace us or you know whatever right-wing mantra of the day those those transgender people want to get in my bathroom you're, you're not that great you're not that great don't don't overvalue yourself when we get rid of that fear then we can live in love and we can look at things through love it's it's like you know what's the solution to immigration or, you know, uh, undocumented's coming across the border. I think if we loved people, a solution would come. 
But as long as we're hard hearted and like, oh, let's just treat those people horribly and maybe they won't want to come anymore. Well, A, hasn't worked ever through our history. And B, maybe our hard heartedness is why we can't come up with a solution. And maybe the ability to manipulate us with that issue is why our politicians don't fix things. But if love was our base position, maybe a solution would come. You know, the old saying is when the student is ready, the teacher will come. So how about that? <clears throat> this is from Indigo Hawk. He says, I've been asked this many times and have no idea what to say, but I have been wondering myself, since the Bible has been written over 2,000 years ago and there are so many different translations, how do we even know what it actually says? Yeah, um, we don't. Although we do have a lot of manuscripts to pull from. And so we have a book called the Bible. Now, the Bible is not actually a book. The Bible is a group of books and writings that were brought together by men in, you know, thousands of years ago. The Bible is not a book. The Bible is a collection of books. Sometimes in those collections of books, they uh, contradict one another. So anybody who tells me, well, God wrote that whole book, then God's confused because there's one verse in the Bible that says, all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then there's another place in Matthew that says, not all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So the old man got confused somewhere in there. Three of the gospels say Jesus was crucified on Passover. One of the gospels says Jesus was crucified on the day of preparation for Passover. I would think if God wrote all of the Bible, he would remember which day it was that he beat the hell out of his son. So how do we know what it actually says? So we have manuscripts, we have a Bible, we have a, a Protestant canon. I think there may be other books that we should have included in that canon that are out there. And maybe some of the books that are in the canon shouldn't have been included. But I can still read the Bible for me. This is me and get inspiration from it. I, I find something mystically beautiful about the Bible. I, I also think it has been beautifully and mystically preserved in a lot of ways. That makes it, for me, something different than just another book. Now, I'm totally willing to stipulate that that may be because my upbringing was in Christianity and I'm predisposed to believe that, and I'm I will stipulate all of that. But I haven't been able to shake the idea of like, there's something mystical and beautiful about this book of the Bible. So that being said, and again, I don't fully trust how it was put together. I don't fully trust how it was translated into English and the fact that there are many other translators. But when you ask, how do we know what it actually says? My answer is we don't. So how do we know what wisdom to glean from it? And I think the 
I think the secret is in the, what are the highest commands of the Bible? Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. So what are the three components in that, in that equation? The divine spirit of heaven, you and me together and me. So when I'm reading the Bible, I can start to wrestle with the, the, in Isaiah, it says, come, let us wrestle together in, um, I'm not sure where it is now. I should have it all memorized, right? Uh, it, it says, work out your salvation daily with fear and trembling. We, we have to wrestle with the text. And, and what that looks like is saying to one another, I'm hearing this out of this text. What do you think? And we wrestle with it together and we come together. And, and, and I believe there is access to something divine and supernatural that helps us in that process. There is the connection together, the human connection to wrestle together. And there is me and me uh, can, can be trustworthy to, if I'm working from an open heart to be able to say, I'm sort of, sort of feeling this. Um, yeah, Scott Mack, my friend from Paris, France, says Isaiah 118, come let us reason or wrestle. That is correct. Also, it can also be rightly translated, come let us argue. God and I, God is saying to Isaiah, come let us argue together over this. So there's that. Uh, Claude Carrier says, I disagree with you that the Bible is inspirational, it's evil and vile. And trust, Claude, I totally get that statement. And in, and in some ways you're right. I personally think if we handle the Bible honestly with what it is, we can say this is an ancient text written by people who, who didn't know that North America existed. And so they wrote things in their own context of their own nationalistic beliefs. And they did things like commit genocide and and then say, God told us to do that. Write it down. God told us to wipe out every man, woman, and child. And that is evil and vile. But if we can look at that and say, that is a human interpretation of human actions being attributed to a God, then I think we can start to look at it differently and say, yeah, that 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 happened right there. That was evil and vile. And that's not the God that I know. So I'm going to find where I see inspiration that's pertinent for today. And then the other stuff I'm going to discern, like that David had a, a virgin in his deathbed. That is not an encouragement for me to go find a virgin and bring her into my bed. I can, I can work that through and understand that together. So that's kind of how I look at it. And I, and, and so for whatever reason, I get inspiration from it and, and others may get inspiration from other books that, that don't inspire me. And that's okay. We can, again, anybody of a spiritual practice that I see that's bringing them toward their best self and toward relationship with one another, um, I'm going to, I'm just going to bless that. I'm going to bless that. And, and so Claude has another number of statements, but this one is God has never spoken to man. Man has never spoken to God. Well, 
I don't know. I feel like I've heard from heaven, whether it's me connecting with myself in eternity or some sort of divine spirit or ancients or something else. I mean, I've heard things that come from outside of my personal. And, and again, I'm willing to stipulate those may all be internal and come from my own brain. Fine. But I don't think we've been able to prove that. And so I, I'm going to allow for all those different things. So Julie, I hope that was a good answer to your question. Indigo Hawk, I hope that helped answer your question. This is a question from Doug. Doug says, what is your view on original sin? And I'm going to tell you that I think original sin is bullshit. And it's one of the worst theologies that there is out there because it tells us that we are inherently bad because we were born. Because we exist on the planet, we're bad. And people use the psalm that says, in sin was I conceived. And they're like, see, we're all born sinners. It says so right there. Um, but I think that verse is actually David saying about himself personally, in sin was he conceived. And we could go into that. But that's, no matter what, that's, that's taking a poem, a line from a poem, and making it this eternal theology of original sin. Like Hani says on Facebook, the epitome of gaslighting. It, it just doesn't add up. And, and the book of Romans says, if one man's act can bring sin to the whole world, how much more does the righteous act of one man relieve that sin? So what it's saying is, okay, for argument's sake, let's stipulate that Adam brought original sin into the world and we're all sinners because of Adam. Then Jesus came and wiped out Adam's act. So how can I be an original sinner now unless Adam's act is greater than Jesus' act? That it is a it is a heresy to say Adam's act inf infects every person on earth no matter what. You're just born being a bad person because of Adam. But what Jesus did requires your participation of saying a magical prayer and joining a particular religious sect. So you're saying Adam's act is much, 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 much greater than, than Jesus' act on the cross. Amy, my friend Amy. Hi, Amy. She says the idea that we were born bad is to keep us in the church tradition. Yes, it is a very controlling thing. You have to have me to get your sins relieved. So that's my view of original sin. I think it's a terrible theology. I, as I coach people in my Reconstruction You coaching, which you can see on my website at pastor-paul.com. I missed you too, Amy. Good to see you, dear. Um, I have to unwind Christian theology from people all the time because I ask the question, are you good and do you deserve good things to happen in your life? And, and almost always the answer is, Yes, dot, 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 but because religion, Christianity, even, even people who have never gone to church in their life in America are still influenced by the bad theology of original sin and human depravity. The human depravity is the, the theology that everything of the flesh is bad. Every human emotion is bad. Um, 
And once I start to unravel for my coaching clients, you're not bad. You were told that you're bad. Your religion, your parents, your culture told you you were bad, but you're not. Occasionally you do unhealthy things that harm yourself and harm others, but you don't do that because you were born inherently bad. You do that because religion, parents injured you, and now you're working from an unhealthy place. And nothing does that to us more than religion. Religion tells us we are shameful, terrible beings, and we live our life as shameful, terrible beings because we've been told by our religious sect that we are. Amy says, I have often wondered what the point is of it all without original sin. Yeah. I don't think there's a, a guy on a throne somewhere in the cosmos who set up this system whereby he knew, because he's omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, knew that that he was going to create this sin code and one day he was going to have to kill his son in the most vicious execution ever to relieve sin. The book of Hebrews says that was not God's idea. That was man's idea. Slaughtering a lamb never took away sins, according to Hebrews. So why did Jesus have to be slain to get rid of sins if the idea of a lamb being slain didn't get rid of sin in the first place? The idea of Jesus was to say, okay, the law code comes to an end, and now you're going to live out of relationship. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. That's my view of original sin. All right. Uh, and, and so I think I answered, the, so Doug's second part of his question is, when you hear Christians speak of Jesus dies to save us from our sins, how do you process that statement? I believe... Jesus was teaching about being released from a bondage of religion and, and religion for him was embodied in the Mosaic law code. And, um, okay. I have an anti-Semitic statement on Facebook. I'm going to block that. Yeah. No, what you just said about Jewish people is 100% not true, Claude, and you need to stop that. So we're going to block him. Okay. Um, Jesus came to say, I'm, I'm going to show you how to be free of being under the obligation of a law code. And you're going to live out of relationship with heaven and with earth. You're going to make it on, on earth as it is in heaven through relationship. And so, and Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. The law, the law was a covenant, the Mosaic covenant, we call it in Christian spaces. Moses made a covenant, a contract with God. And Jesus said, I've come to fulfill that contract. And when a contract is fulfilled, it is over and done. And so his fulfillment of the contract was to set the captives free. And then when he said, 
I'm going to go down to Jerusalem. What did Peter say? No, if you go down there, you're going to die and you're not going to die, Jesus. And what did Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan, because you're trying to take me away from my destiny. Jesus knew guys in that age, that day, the first century uh, Palestine, if he took a big following to Jerusalem, Rome was going to execute him. He knew he was going to be executed going down to Rome. And I believe he was saying, and the symbolism of the covenant being fulfilled will be me taking the place of the human made lamb sacrifice ceremony through this execution on the cross. And so in the Bible, we're told the last thing that Jesus said on the cross was to tell us die. It is fulfilled. The contract is now fulfilled and can no longer be held over our heads. So when people say, well, Leviticus says homosexuality is an abomination. And I'm like, okay, you just negated Jesus symbol of his death on the cross. So Jesus didn't die for our sins, for his blood to wash us white as snow. Jesus died on the cross to symbolize the contract of law being fulfilled. And now you never have to live under the law ever again. Set the captives free. And to point us to our original identity of being connected to the supernatural of heaven and understand that. And when we do, we will live out the life that Jesus demonstrated in his teachings. So thank you, Doug, for the question. This is from Omar, Omaraga, something like that. And he says, uh, Paul, you're always talking about the command of the Bible to take care of the poor. Didn't Jesus say the poor you will always have with you? What do you think Jesus meant by that statement? Um, so we do see a passage in the Bible where Jesus says the poor you will always have with you. And Christians always use that passage to say, well, well yeah, we kind of have to care about the poor, but Jesus said the poor we're always going to have with us. So it doesn't really matter that much. That's not what Jesus was saying in that passage. I, I do videos on, on a regular basis that are called the Bible doesn't say what Christians say the Bible says. And the Bible doesn't say what Christians say that it says. Um, when Jesus was saying the poor you will always have with you, we need to know first the context is he was mocking a religious person who was like, she shouldn't have poured that oil on your feet. She should have sold it and given the money to the poor. And Jesus knew for a fact that caring for the poor was nothing motivating the comment from the guy. It's, it's like a pro-life person say, well, I just care about babies. It's like, nah, you really, it's not all about babies. It, there's politics behind what you're doing. You really want low taxes, I think, perhaps. Um, 
So Jesus was mocking a religious guy saying, nah, this is, you're not, you don't really care about the poor. This is not about the poor, what you're saying. But what Jesus was doing is he was quoting a verse from a passage in Deuteronomy 19, I think it is. I may have that wrong, but, and the passage that he was quoting, and, and one of the things that would happen because the Bible was so drilled into the culture there when you said a portion of a passage, everybody would know the rest of the passage. So it'd be like, it would be like if I said to you, when life gives you lemons, your mind just says, make lemonade. And you know the meaning of that statement. So when Jesus says, the poor you will always have with you, the people around him would realize um, Oh, he's quoting this very famous passage from you know our old Bible there. And the passage was talking about the poor you will always have with you and says, therefore, have an open hand of generosity and make sure you don't have any poor in your community, that if you are a community following God, you will not have poor people in your community. So, that passage that Jesus stated or is quoted as stating in the New Testament is the opposite of what right-wing right -wing Christians use it to say. So there you go, Omar. All right, I've got just a few more minutes and... Uh, Silent Mandible says, Hi, Pastor Paul. Do you think God would punish me or others I care about for me enjoying blasphemous and mis misotheistic music? No, he would not. Because I don't believe there is like a God sitting on a throne trying to choose who gets blessed and who gets punished today. Which child gets, gets cancer today and which Christian gets a good parking spot at the mall um, because of prayer. So no, listen to whatever music you want. Now, if I see you're listening to music that is causing you to be violent to others around you, or you're listening to music that causes you to be violent to self, then I'm going to say, okay, now you're violating the command of Jesus to love, love God, love your neighbor as yourself, because you're not loving yourself nor your neighbor when you do that. So then I would say, that may not be the best thing. Like I would say to many today, Listening to Rush Limbaugh, well, Limbaugh's not around anymore. He died, didn't he? But listening to right-wing media, Fox News, makes you less of a good person. It it takes away your heart for others. It, it causes you to believe lies. And uh, thank you. I can't. CP is a bear. Is that what that says? Um, Therapies, how you doing, Rebecca? Good to see you. Um, so if your music is causing you to violate relationship with yourself or with those around you, then I would say, yeah, I don't think you should listen to that music. It's not serving you well. It's not serving your healthiness and your relationships well. So what do you say we, we get rid of that? You're welcome, Silent. I don't really know what mis misotheistic music is, by the way. I, I guess I'll need to look that up. I listen to some blasphemous music sometimes. I I loved Depeche Mode when I was in college, and they even had a song called Blasphemous Rumors. 
um, which I which I love, but it's a it's about uh, a, a, a you know self harm, um, and I think was telling a very real poignant story in it. But it's uh, you know the song itself is a very raw, real song that says you know I don't want to start any blasphemous rumors, but I think that God's got a sick sense of humor, and I think that's expressing a real human expression of how we interact with the world and with heaven. Uh, Gracie says, you are what you eat slash consume, including who and what you surround yourself with. Good, good point. Good point. Uh, David Schnur says, are you familiar with the book that Matthew Fox wrote called Original Blessing? No, I've never, I've never heard of that before. Hani says that original sin is the epitome of gaslighting. Yes, it is. It is the ultimate, ultimate victim blaming and the ultimate gaslighting. No doubt about it. Hi, Carol Ann. Good to see you. All right. Any other questions, guys? I think I saw some. Let me see if I can find some on TikTok here. Um, how long has the Bible been around? What's the history? So it's arguable. There's a lot of argument, but... Um, Sort of basic Christian belief is that most books of the Bible of the New Testament were written sometime in the 50, 60, 70 years after Jesus was alive. There is some belief that it may have been even longer than that um, and that the Bible was probably not written by anybody who actually lived and walked with Jesus. Uh, and of course, the Apostle Paul claimed that he had an encounter with Jesus and all of that, but even those books were written much later. And we know that particularly some of the, what we call the Pauline epistles, the letters written to pastors, um, Paul didn't write them. And they were written long after Paul was dead. So, uh, and then how did we get the canon of the Bible we have now? kind of collected over time. And so this leader would have this canon. He, I like these books, but I don't like those. And this guy would be like, well, I agree with you, but I do like the book of Enoch. I'm going to put it into my canon. And then, you know, of course the Catholic church then sort of standardized that and put the apocryphal books in there. And then the Protestants are like, well, we don't really accept the apocryphal books as scripture. So we're going to take it out of our Bible to make our Bible more affordable, cheaper to produce. And so those are some of the ways that went into the collection of the canon that we have now. Jim Hines says, is your home tax exempt? The answer is no. My business, my ministry is not even tax exempt. I do it through a for-profit business. I pay taxes. Paul didn't write in jail. Was it a scribe? Uh, no, I, Paul did write some of the letters. Um, it's questionable whether Paul really knew Jesus or not, though, is, is, the, is the question. Um, but yes, Paul did have a scribe, and Paul would also have uh, men and women who would carry the letters and would read them out loud and do it in all almost a performance way 
and and it's thought that Phoebe is one of these one of these um gosh, what were they called? It's not minstrels. Mm. Why can I not think of it now? Anyway, Phoebe was one of these people that would go perform the letter for people and do a dramatic reading. And so there's, uh, you know, we can look at that and say, so Paul didn't say women shouldn't be preachers and pastors because that's what these people were. They were taking Paul's words and making them dramatic and apprehendable for people around them. And Phoebe was one of those who did it. So this idea of complementarianism in the misogynist women-hating church is ludicrous, ludicrous. Glitter and kitty litter says original sin equals gaslighting. Yep, I agree. And Sunny says, well, that was the culture of the time, right? To perform. Yeah, I think it was cool. I think it's cool that they would perform it and like do this dramatically. It's also beautiful. Carol Ann says, also our culture, one could agree. Yeah, I agree. Preaching is a performance, right? So David says the book he was talking about is structured around exactly what you've been talking about. We did not fall from grace, but ascended to it. That's kind of a glass half full rather than a glass half empty point of view. I, I can go with that. And I, I think that's beautifully said. I just think our, I think our job is like, we're a part of this big pantheon thing that is God. And we've come down together to live in these temporary meat sacks called bodies for a purpose to learn and bring something back to the body together. And, and we do that through learning that caring about others is caring about ourselves. And it's important for me to know that. And that's what Jesus came to show us. Like, you're not bad, you're good. Sunny says, I received my MA in theology, but struggle using it as a woman. Yeah, you're, you're never going to be trusted in the evangelical right-wing Christian church with giving hard truths, being in leadership over any man over the age of 13 because of bad, 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 bad theology. Hey, Mystic Moon, how you doing? Good to see you. Good to see you. All right, guys, a couple more minutes. Anything else? Good evening from Indiana. Thank you, Mystic Moon. Go check out her page. She's cool. And go to my page and check out my video of Donnie Jr. selling a... Christian nationalist book he calls the We the People Bible. Nerd of Prey says, this guy is so arrogant, but so ignorant. Weird combo. Do you think he knows? What was I ignorant about? Sherry says, checking in from Santa Cruz. Oh, Sherry, I hope, I hope you're okay. You guys have had some water issues over there, man. So are you all right? Will you ever do an in-person assembly type of thing? I hate to call it church, says Don. Don... 
Uh, evangelicalish is definitely going to be in Southern California sometime this year. And yeah, I want to do some in-person things um, in California. So make sure you're on my email list, reach out to me and we can, we can talk about it. Cause some of it may be like, if we can find a group that wants to get together, I'll come see you guys. Sunny says, or arrogant about, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think I'm that arrogant, but I, sometimes when people, you know, when you're around small people and you know who you are and you walk in your identity, it, they think it's arrogance, but it's actually just understanding who you are for small people people who know who they are and live out of that identity sometimes seem arrogant. So, yeah. Sherry says, I'm fine and, and my family, but lots of damage. Ooh, sorry to hear that. Don says, yes, I will reach out for sure. I'd like to help with anything if you ever need any volunteer. Oh yeah, Don, please do. Uh, you can go to my website and contact me. I think we've interacted before, but if not, you know, reach out to me. Thanks for your time, says Glitter and Kitty Litter. I'm trying to understand Christianity. It triggers me. Christianity triggers me too, but the story of Jesus doesn't. The story of Jesus is cool. Okay. Therapy says, you're not arrogant, but knowledgeable from knowing. Oh, Rebecca, we need, we need to hook up again, Rebecca. I've got, I've got some things to tell you, so... Let's connect again. Uh, um, a lot of stuff going on. This is more says I dig your vibe. I love it, man. I dig yours too. Thank you for that. Yeah, Rebecca, please do. Let's let's connect again. I want to I want to catch you up. And to all of you, um, I'm going to be sharing some of my personal story, my personal journey story, uh, coming out soon. Um, because yeah, I've just been doing a lot of. 2022 was my self-work uh, year, and uh, we'll start sharing what some of that is about soon. Also, go to my website, pastor-paul.com. Uh, Don, it's pastor-paul.com. And would love for you all live to my website. That's where um, I get my finance. I do it in for-profit business, so I pay taxes for it. Um, and also check out my products there. I have a mentorship program I do called Deconstruction You, which is where we start to look through theology. Who is God? Um, what is sin? What does the Bible look like now? Things like that in community, walking together as we deconstruct our faith. And then I have Reconstruction You, which is my, my personal life identity journey coaching. And I take people on a path from identity to safety and value, to purpose. Who am I and where am I going in this next phase of life? If you feel like, eh, maybe I'm coming up on a transition time, or if you're like, I don't understand why things don't add up in my life, Reconstruction You is for you. 12-week program, online curriculum, one-on-ones with me. Check it out. It is beautiful. We have a new cohort starting soon. Get on my email list. I'll be sending out information of the new cohort starting. So yeah, go to my website, pastor-paul.com and click on contact us and you can email me through that. Don says, love your nails. Thank you. I do. This is a really cool color, isn't it? I don't know if you can really see the true colors on the streams, but I asked for like a dark plum or a dark purple. That's what they came up with. And if you're a man out there like, like oh gosh, he's talking nails. 
let me encourage you go get your nails done it is so much fun it's so cool i love it and i don't know i love the look of having nails like this and the bible does not does not let me say again does not forbid it lincoln park after dark says they're a very cool mystic moon says cool color all right guys i gotta run love you all pastor-paul.com is the website hope you'll join me for a lot of the stuff we do take care <laughs>